Welcome to Dumpy Little Unicorn Podcast. Today I'm talking to the not Booker-nominated author of Seven Deadly Swords, Peter Sutton. Peter, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, yes. For those listeners who haven't come across your work before, how would you describe it? I mostly write dark fantasy style stuff. My first book was a, a collection of short stories which were described as, as dark and psychological horror. Right. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't personally classify them as horror, but that's the standard thing that all horror authors say, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the first novel was in that vein. It was a, a dark fantasy set in the future, uh, set in the, the present. Right. And my latest book, which came out in October last year, and, and I'm working on a another book is is actually a, a bit of a departure it's a historical fantasy so there's there's less horror elements to it although some people have said it's quite dark yeah i would i would agree with that there, there are some sort of dark elements to it now i really enjoyed seven deadly swords oh thank you and something that really struck me was the structuring of it because it was so complex it must have been quite a feat to sort of keep it all straight how did you go about managing that it's been it's had a lot of different drafts and it used to have a more complicated structure believe it or not so it <laughs> it, it flitted around from past to present a lot before yeah but one of the things that my editor suggested when Grimble took it was to write it chronologically so basically take it all apart and just write it as if it it was you know okay. it, it starts in 1197 yeah. uh, and goes all the way up to 2012 so basically just write it chronologically which is quite difficult because the way that it had been written in the in a draft they accepted yeah obviously the pacing was down to how one thing folds another and thematically sure. and things so it was quite difficult to do but it did help the editorial process basically simplified it. So, I mean, essentially, it made sense in my head prior to, to editing. And um, my editor, Kate, made sure that it made sense to everybody else who was reading it post-editing. <laughs> That's what editors are for. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, cool. Because that was one thing I really did enjoy was the fact that at one point you would be in, you know, well, 2012, which is no longer, well, it is kind of the present day, but then you would go back sort of like, thousand years or so and how it all fitted together and I just kept thinking I don't think I could manage sort of that many timelines and sort of keeping them all straight so I think you did a really good job with that okay um, thanks <laughs> I, I, I I did also have everything written out on index cards and got to the stage where I'd spread out the index cards over the, over the floor and move things around yeah and then I I transferred the the draft that was in Microsoft Word into Scrivener yeah did the same in Scrivener basically so that I could move chapters around that's quite uh, useful tool I've, I've noticed as well that you can move things around and make it easier literally see what you're doing and you're not going to lose anything when you're doing it as well yeah scrivener's <laughs> got a, a virtual cork board and it, it's it's very good for for structuring novels but i've not yet used it writing the the latest novel all in word again right. i've not yet used scrivener to be the the word processing package but i find the 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 the, the structure part of, of scrivener quite useful so I have a I have a synopsis and the structure of the plot, 
and the structure of the book of the one I'm writing at the moment in Scrivener, mm -hmm. but the actual draft is in Word, and that seems to be a bit odd, <laughs> but well, it works for me. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing. It's no, I think with writing, no one size fits all, and you have to sort of find what tools work for you and in the way that they work for you. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so the next thing I was going to ask you is, considering what Raymond embodies, and I'm trying not to give spoilers here, um, he is a very sympathetic character. Where did the concept of him come from and how did it develop? So initially it came from a role-playing game. So yep. I was I, I was a, in inverted commas, a storyteller for um, like a Vampire the Masquerade, but it was like a, a homebrew version of Vampire the Masquerade, right? Where all of the players played hunters, yeah. And the the recurring villain of the piece was Raymond, basically, right? As who was a vampire in the original tabletop, and the 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 whole reason was was the same as in the book actually so the 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 actual reason that raymond and his companions are cursed is pretty much the same between the the role-playing tabletop uh game that i'd written and novel yeah but everything else has basically changed i mean they're not vampires for a start yeah um, vampires don't even exist it, it is essentially our world there is some magical elements in the in the crusade part but not that much so the the fantasy part of the book is is quite low i think yeah um, apart from the general premise of there's a bunch of people that recur throughout history um and keep coming back to life etc yeah that was another thing i really liked as a concept sort of it i haven't seen it that often before where but although i guess there is a thing of of characters that reincarnate through time or in this case it's it's not quite that it's more of a oh how would you how would you describe it um yeah that's it's a good question without without being too spoilery yeah how would you describe it yeah it's a it i mean it's a curse to come back yeah uh, and essentially possess somebody yeah because it's like i've seen things where you get star-crossed lovers that keep coming recurring through time but this this is not that it's something a bit different to that and that i found that really really interesting oh what else was i gonna say i was gonna say something else really fascinating then but it just flipped <laughs> out of my mind um, i mean there is there is a there is a, a thing in, in that in between times um and it, it's mentioned a couple of times it's not it's not a big plot point or anything but in between times they still exist and they're still experiencing things right and that's that's generally part of the curse as well yeah oh of course yes there's where where they go to when they're not sort of on earth yeah yes. <laughs> uh, i hope this is making some people think this sounds interesting and i want to read it because uh it really is a cracking read <laughs> well i hope so yeah thanks and speaking of do you have a reading for us today yeah, I was I was going to read the the first chapter, yeah. um, essentially because you know it's the first chapter. It's it, that's kind of traditional. Yeah. Uh, also, it's around five five minutes long, and there's only three characters in there, so you don't. It doesn't take a lot of setup at all. Okay. So I'll need my glasses for this. Avignon, France, twenty twelve. Raymond hunned Alouette and sharpened his sword. This time, the priest would die first. The rain hammered relentlessly upon the roof of the people carrier. He'd never got the hang of identifying machinery. It smelled new, and it was red. He glanced out the window into the night, seeing nothing, remembering deserts. 
His hands worked a slow, circular motion, comforting. He'd long since discovered that poetry and songs soothed the constant rage. What was keeping Fisher? Muscle memory took over and he contemplated the coming violence, the necessity of it. The priest had drawn him in, initially. It wasn't his fault as such, but he held a fair measure of culpability. This time, Raymond would end it. This time. He was aware that he smiled grimly. How many times had he sworn that this time would be different? The last. He glanced back out of the window. Avignon. Sinira had all sorted. Seat of Popes. A fitting place to find the priest. The car was parked next to an ancient wall which stretched down the road to the priest's store. Where Fisher had gone some minutes ago, the priest would have had the dream. Raymond would be expected. Or one of them would be expected anyway. Dreams and portents. Curses and sorcery. Raymond spat on the blade. This time, he'd end it. The sliding door of the car rattled open. Fisher, despite his bulk and age, moved quietly. Military training honed through many years of covert operations. Raymond raised an eyebrow at the Englishman, who nodded and moved off, his yellow-white hair a flag in the dark. Raymond dropped the whetstone into its velvet bag, jumped out of the car, and splashed through the wet clay mud covering the road to catch up with the larger man. Once the big man was close enough for Raymond to see his, his fish's cauliflower ears, he asked, And? He's still there. The Merseyside accent seemed out of place here in France. The priest's house was modest. A window onto Passage Street, Passage saint Col, a door on the roof Lysian David, a courtyard interior, sand-coloured stone. The priest's church, saint Agricole, a short walk away. The door swung open under Fisher's meaty hand, and Raymond walked in ahead of the Englishman, who held the door open for him. Raymond was struck again by the fact that Fisher was approaching sixty, soon to be too old for this work, and of a good reason to end it this time. The sound of prayer drifted down the stairs as the door swung shut behind Fisher. Raymond hefted his sword and followed the chant. The stairs were narrow and slippery, the plasterwork walls cracked and scabrous, and my asthma of overcooked greasy food hung heavy on the air. Raymond continued to sing Alouette. At the top of the stairs, a nut-brown door stood open in the crack. Latin spilled out. Raymond tightened his grip on the sword and pushed the door fully open. The short hallway he walked through, past a tiny kitchen, ended in a left turn into a sitting room. Waist-high bookcases flanked the door, and ahead was a, was a well-used sofa of cracked brown leather. The Latin abruptly stopped. Raymond, and Mr. Fisher, welcome. It's just Fisher. The priest sat at a dining table, a bottle of single malt in front of him, empty glasses waiting. I wasn't sure if Fisher would be joining us. He picked up the bottle and screwed the top off, pouring a generous measure into each glass. Raymond's gaze roved the room. He narrowed his eyes and tried to ignore the siren song of fury that bubbled just beneath the surface. After everything, after... Raymond's hand, the one not holding the sword, made an abortive gesture. You still believe? The priest followed Raymond's eyes to where his own hand had picked up a set of mahogany beads and a silver crucifix. A simple enough rosary, well made, expensive, but not ostentatious. It is ever a mystery to me that you no longer do, Raymond. You were always a great believer. The priest picked up his glass, his finger and thumb counting beads. The glass shook as he raised it to his lips. Fisher crossed the room and took the offered glass. With a glance at Raymond, he knocked back the whiskey, then sat to one side and kicked the chair opposite the priest out as an invitation to Raymond. You don't think that all we've seen proves that he has no plan for us? Raymond asked. The priest shrugged. We are what God has made us. Raymond barked a humorous laugh 
And what is that exactly, Father? If your dreams and times in between are as mine, then I think you know. You know nothing. Raymond took a step towards the table. He could feel his control slipping. He bit his lip and started reciting Dante under his breath. The priest held out the rosary. Come, Raymond, pray with me, like we used to. It will give you comfort, like a Doraleum. Raymond's sword flicked out and the beads rattled across the table and onto the flagstone floor. It is time, he snarled. Cool. And that's quite a gripping opening you have there. It's all very atmospheric and really enjoyable. So thank you for, for that. One thing that I wanted to sort of ask you about was what other projects are you working on and are you allowed to talk about them at the moment? Yes, I've been working on, on two books. I signed another two book deal with KEHH back in 2017, I think it was. I was working on Seven Swords last year. Yeah. A um, lot, lot of editing and backwards and forwards and all the usual stuff about choosing the cover and planning the, the launch, etc. Yeah. And uh, I was also editing a, a collection of stories, uh, an anthology for, for Grimbold last year as well. Right. So I, I didn't do a vast amount of writing last year, and I've got to deliver a novel and a short story book this year, so I'm kind of against the deadline and, right. uh, and writing furiously. I've uh, set myself the task of, of writing the a good draft, so I won't tell you because it's quite difficult to sometimes yeah. to, to, to say what how many um, drafts you do, um, because you, if you do circular editing... You're basically drafting, redrafting all the time. Sure. But I've done like a, let's call it a vomit draft of the right. <laughs> of the next novel uh, that I'm trying to make into a, a, a good draft of the book. And, and I'm about 30,000 words into a good draft. So okay. uh, a, a proper first draft, which I'll then edit and then send off. So my aim is to, to send it off to the publisher end of October, beginning of November. Okay. Uh, and that's uh, a novel called The Certainty of Dust, which is all about death. So a nice, um, happy topic. <laughs> I don't know. I always find that kind of comforting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's at that stage where everything may or may not change. So I don't want right. to okay. go down the route of saying what it's all about. But at the same time, I've been writing um, short stories. And the short story book is more finished than the novel. But right. But it's not ready. Okay. <laughs> but that, that also needs to go to the publisher before the end of the year. Yeah. And then, I don't know. Um, I, I've also been editing another anthology for, for Grimbold. So last year was Infinite Dysmorphia, and this year it's Forgotten Psychic. So um, Grimbold did a, a set of three sci-fi books last year. They did a yeah. set of three fantasy books this year. And they've all got different editors. Oh wow! Okay, that's that sounds like an interesting collection to check out. Yeah, and I've 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 been working with Stephen Paul, so um, it's it's quite nice to to work with a with another editor on on a book, so you, you know you don't feel quite so isolated. Yeah. Um, and you know you can agree on on the methods of how to contact and what to say to to the authors as well. Sure. Cool. Oh, okay. So what I'm going to do next is move on to. The questions that I ask everybody on this podcast. Okay. And the first of those questions is, what have you read? What have I read? Okay. Um, so, uh, as we discussed before, you went off to, to Worldcon. How yeah. was Worldcon, by the way? Was it good? Worldcon was amazing. 
<laughs> I'm still very tired from it, but uh-huh. I had I had a great time. Yeah, Wellcon's a, a, a massive on there. I went they to the one, I went to the one in Finland. And, yeah, it took us quite some time to recover because we had yeah. the whole flight there and flight back as well. So, uh, sorry, I've sorry. got distracted. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm judging the the BFA uh, British Fantasy Awards new uh, best newcomer. So yeah. that's what I've mostly been concentrating on reading. I, I did visit um, whilst you were in Wellcon. I was in Edinburgh for the festival. Oh, fantastic. And I went to the book festival and picked up a couple of, of books, as you do. One of which was um, Alexander Chee's How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. Right. So it's a selection of essays. Uh, I didn't really know um, Chi as an author, but I, I saw it in the bookshop and it looked interesting. I read the first essay that night and I've complete, uh, completely read it from cover to cover um, <laughs> since. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's very good. Okay. Uh, that's the last thing I read. Yeah. And is anything else that you've read recently that sort of stood out as something that you just thought, oh, my goodness, this is incredible? Well, I'm not allowed to say anything about the, the BFAs. Okay. <laughs> not until until uh, after uh, Fantasy Gun, I, I guess. Right, okay. Uh, what did I read before that? I read Kings of the Wild recently. I know there's, uh, the, the second book has come out and everybody mm. everybody else is ahead of me. <laughs> but it's yeah. one of those things, it's like I buy the book when, it, when there's a buzz about it and it goes onto the shelf and then eventually I'll get round to it because my... To be red pal is is completely out of control. Um, hey, but, oh, but welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah, the the Nicholas Eames is um, Kings of the Wild. It, it is as much fun as everybody tells you it is. Um, okay. It is very good. Well, that's that looks like that's something I'm going to have to add to my to be red pile. <laughs> so, what have you seen? Um, so, mostly plays and comedians because I was at the Edinburgh Festival. Oh, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, spill. <laughs> Things I saw that were really good. So I saw a play by the one of the writers of Supernatural, um, the TV show Supernatural. Okay. He'd done a play at the, at the festival called The Sleeping Giant. And that's very interesting in that uh, somebody accidentally wakes the, the Butterfly King so that a, a deity called the Butter Viking, and right. there's a there's a, a there's a, a gigantic lake monster, and it was like a it was like a Lagotti story, so you know it started off with with this accident accidental ritual, and then people getting more and more crazy as 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 time went on. Uh, okay. That was that was very good, essentially because it was it's like horror theatre. I also saw Don't Be Terrible by Alan Waddell. That was very good. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's a, a very meta-narrative narrative on stand-up comedy, which was about stand-up comedy, but it was a play. It was a two-hander. Okay. And that was very good. Uh, what else? Oh, there's loads of stuff. One night after midnight, we decided it was a good idea to go along to Colt Cabana and I can't remember the, the name of the comedian then, and, and the comedian... Uh, narrate bad wrestling videos. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that that does sound brilliant. <laughs> it, it was it, it lived up to what we expected it to be, which was you know, um, Colcabana is like a worldwide wrestling federation, either WWE or whatever um, okay, wrestler. Yeah. 
Um, and John, I can't remember his second name, has has a podcast about wrestling, and they they essentially they invite a comedian that's appearing at the festival, and they play bad wrestling videos and um, talk talk over them, and it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, excellent! That does sound like a lot of fun. You you know I'm not. It's one uh, wrestling's one of those things I've never really been into, but that does sound like it would be one of those things that's a hoot to go to yes very much so but t- tv and film wise i'm not sure like i said the last thing i saw at the cinema was midsummer oh yeah and i loved that <laughs> yeah i thought it was very interesting it is uh it's beautifully shot yes but i but i did feel that you mean you needed to have switched your brain off a little bit too much before watching it but the level of plausibility was was lower than i would like okay i think i think what i liked about it was the fact that it followed on sort of in the tradition of the wicker man but in a very sort of knowing way and i enjoyed that element of it and i also poor girl with this terrible boyfriend who basically drags her off to sweden and she and she said the most awful time, <laughs> and he's terrible to her. And yes. his his friends are also terrible people, and they all get what's coming to them. And that is actually quite satisfying to watch. Um, I, I I think it's I thought it was quite a funny film, and um, I I I found it hilarious. And when I came out of the cinema, um, a random bloke came up to me and my partner and he was like, what have I just seen? And I'm like beaming from ear to ear like an idiot going, wasn't it great? <laughs> uh, but then I think that's one of those things. It's like tastes and people expecting a certain thing and getting something else. But I, I, I thought it was I thought it was really funny, but knowingly so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I it, it had its amusing moments. Yeah. I, ju- I just thought that... I know they were all uh, anthropologists. Yeah. And so they're there for a specific reason. But I, as soon as she, as soon as they turned up and and the cult like nature of it, uh, I'd be going, I need to get out of here. Yes. <laughs> and especially when uh, no spoilers, when the the English couple yeah. uh, decide to leave, and it's like, yeah, I'm with them. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. You do have to suspend your disbelief at that point because there's no way you'd be staying. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, it it's it's still an interest an interesting film and oh yeah, I just thought I thought it was a hoot, <laughs> but then I didn't take it too seriously. I like the fact there were no jump scares because jump scares are I hate them. <laughs> right. It, but it was like... it, it was very interesting visually, and I I, I like the ending. It, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that everything that happens is totally there at the beginning of the film and totally foreshadowed. And it's nice to see when something's structured that way that it, it pays off. Yeah. So moving on, what have you heard or what do you listen to? So well, Sigur Ross has got a new album. Yeah. If you can explain it that way. I don't know. It's a, it's a curated series of songs, but yeah, it's, 
So I, I do like Icelandic music. I, went to, I was lucky enough to go to Iceland about 10 years ago now. Yeah. And we went into a, a little music shop in Reykjavik and we, we liked Sigur Rós before going in and sure. talked to the, the, the guy behind the, the counter and he recommended a whole bunch of other Icelandic musicians. So Johan Johansson, who's well-known for doing, well-known now, um, yeah. wasn't so much at the time, but well-known now for doing the music for Arrival. Right. And the last um, Nicolas Cage film, was it Mandy? Yes, I, I think yeah. so, yeah. Who, who sadly died a couple of years ago, but I, I, I listened to him a lot, um, especially when writing, and Olaf Arnold, and the the lady who did the music for Chernobyl, I've been listening to for years. Yeah. Um, Hilda Gwenadotter, I think. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce that, <laughs> as you can probably tell. We'll go um, with that. Yeah, so... Yeah, the Icelandics are, uh, are something I listen to often, um, yeah. especially when writing, um, because I can't really listen to artists that sing, um, no. because the the I, I need I need noise. Yes, but, but not words. No words. I I find that if I'm trying to write something, if if something has words, I'm typing the lyrics out before I know it. <laughs> yeah, they they sort of get in and in, into your head and fight with yeah. the words that you're trying to get on the page. Yeah. But yes, and, and but apart from that, I'm looking forward to Tool's new album. Again, Tool was, uh, is a band that I was into at the time. Yeah. They've had a massive hiatus and then they put a new single on Spotify uh, and it just seems to have gone mad. And you, you look at the number of downloads and listens and you're thinking, where this there this many people that liked them at the time i'm not quite sure because two look quite sort of this is where i show my ignorance they're quite metal aren't they they're, they're metal they're, they're fairly industrial i guess yeah and, and, I th- and that's me in my ignorance as well <laughs> <laughs> so i think it's one of those things it's like we need angry music at the moment <laughs> oh yes yeah so yeah but then uh, apart from that podcast wise so I, I listened to tool in the car on yeah on commute um and the Icelandics and, and some of the um, you, you know, musicians and things like uh, Epic Epic Piano is one right. playlist I listen to yeah. when, when writing. But apart from that, if I'm like going for a walk or getting on a bus or sometimes just at lunchtime, just going sit and be quiet, I, I listen to a podcast. And the ones I've been listening to fairly recently is, is Tim Clare's Death of a Thousand Cuts. That's quite right. good. Yeah. I'd recommend that one to to writers. He essentially, I mean, he's had he's had some um, crossover with the the people that you've had on. So right. Gareth Gareth L. Powell, he's had on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he interviews writers. He does what he calls writing rambles, where he just takes like some some aspect of writing and 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 talks about it for half an hour, sometimes for two hours. Right. He has done a two-hour-long podcast before. Tricky. <laughs> yeah. And he takes people's first pages and does a does a basically does an edit, a, a critique mm-hmm. of that first page, which which is quite useful to to beginning writers, I think. Um, and and I've picked up some tips from it as well. Yeah. So. Yes, um, so that's quite good, and and then some comedy podcasts because you know the world being as dark as it is, we all need a good laugh at the moment. We do. So my next question is, what or who deserves more love? And this can be anything from an author whose work you think deserves a bit more recognition, or a cult favourite, or even something on a larger scale. Okay. Um. So 
whilst I was in Scotland, I was in Glasgow one weekend, Edinburgh the next weekend, I met up with friends who live in Scotland who mm-hmm. I only usually see at like FantasyCon yeah. or, or EasterCon or, or other cons. And I will recommend their work, actually, because they are fantastic writers and they do deserve more more recognition. So Neil Williamson, who publishes with Newcom, we're in an anthology together, actually, that's coming from Newcom. Yeah. Uh, that launched at Worldcon, actually, Once Upon a Parsec, okay. which was um, edited by Dave Gullen and is alien fairy tales, basically. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Which was which was a, an interesting brief. Yes. But anyway, so Neil's Neil's book, The Moon King, is a second world fantasy book with surreal and weird elements to it. So it's kind of, it's got kind of a new weirdy sort of feel. It's it's fairly slipstream. Yeah. But it is brilliant. Oh, cool. I, I've been pushing that one on to people for for several years now, and his um, the prequel. I think he's coming out this year. Uh, maybe it's next year. But yes, the, he, so he's he's great. And then another friend who is, I'd say, pretty much unknown. Sorry, Alistair. <laughs> is Alistair Rennie. Um, and his novel, Bleak Warrior, is one of the most insane books I've read. Uh, but in a good way. Um, yeah. It's, again, on the, the, the sort of the weird spectrum. Okay. I first came across Alistair in a anthology that the Vandermeers put out, so Jeff, Jeff and Anne Vandermeer, which was the new, a compendium of the New Weird. And yeah, it's his book, um, Bleak Warrior, is brilliant. It's written in a very gothic style, um, yeah. it's, but it's set in a an indeterminate future, and then there are these strange immortal warriors who fight each other yeah, and it, it's very difficult to to summarize i did i did a review of it a few years ago yeah but i'd say that that deserves better recognition okay fantastic now then i have a question from twitter yep and run along womble asks uh, what is your most inventive death to date right so I had a, a long think about this, actually. And I generally have less death in my stories than you'd think. <laughs> Basically, because the horror is generally living with what's happened. Yeah. So a lot of the stories end, and you know that the situation has been really bad, and then they've got to live with it, and it's got it's going to get worse. So yeah. I think... I have done. I have killed off side characters. I don't generally the person who's in who's the narrator or the narrative point of view character mm-hmm. tends not to die. No. Um, but I have killed off side characters in some interesting ways. So I've had a, a character that's been written out of history. So in a they existed. Then they never existed, and only only the narrator knew. Yeah. And I've had a, a character left in a a pod, essentially a, a living pod, on Mars, but with no escape. Right. So they they can't then leave the pod, and no. they can't go anywhere, and nobody's going to come and rescue them. So you, you know that 
that's not going to end well. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then during Seven Swords, I think uh, people died in a variety of hideous ways, but that was medieval combat. So yes, I think the the ones I that stuck in my mind when I was reading the various histories of um, the Crusades were were when the Crusaders were besieging various towns and the, the defenders would throw hornet's nests at them or quicklime and, and quicklime yeah. is essentially Ooh, yeah uh, yeah um so you, you might be climbing a ladder one second and then have the flesh melting off your bones in the next so yeah i think the most most hideous de- deaths are actually historically accurate yes bizarrely humans do terrible things to each other yeah. <laughs> okay well thank you for joining me today for our little chat so if people want to um track you down and chase you to ask you questions about about your books and stuff um where will you be appearing next in real life in, in, in real in life the, in the flesh in uh, the flesh i guess the, ne- the next thing is fantasy con which is the 18th of october okay memory yeah 18th 19th of october something like that um so there's fantasy con that weekend then the whole week after is Bristol Festival of Literature. Uh, and my um, writing group are doing an event on the 24th of October at the Forge in Bristol, themed around fire. And then that the following weekend, the 26th of October, is um, BristolCon. Yeah. And the day after, there's a book fair at Arnosvale Cemetery in Bristol, where I'll be selling books and happy to, to to meet people and sign books and uh whatever there uh but not in real life you can follow me on twitter which is at sutto pe although i mostly moan about politics so <laughs> um <Aren't> we all <laughs> yeah my website where i'm currently blogging about trying to write a book in 100 days yeah so, which i'm on to week eight at the moment and I didn't do any writing last week, which is terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I did lots of other other cool stuff. Uh, I climbed a mountain, um, then Lomond, and 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 obviously Edinburgh Festival, and yeah. went to see several bands, etc. So I had a lot of fun, but I didn't do any writing. But um, yeah, I'm blogging about that on my website, which is petewsutton.com. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to Peter for giving the interview twice when we ran into technical difficulties and thanks to Rob Sharp for letting me use his music take to the skies. Coming up we have interviews from Dublin with FD Lee and Adrian Tchaikovsky so until then bye!